chapter 5 of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And um, what we want to do is over the next two weeks, before we get back into our series in Galatians that we went pretty much all fall through, we want to spend a couple weeks, these, this week and, and next week, just kind of talking about our core values. What are, what are we as a church? When we see Watershed Church, what is that look like? Why are we here? What are we going to do for that? And so this week we're kind of going to get the, the overall theme, like the, the, the big picture, and then next week we're going to kind of hone in and be more specific on how that actually works out. So today is more of uh, the overarching, here's who we are, this is how we what to do, and then next week we'll, we'll get in more specifics of, of how that works on the ground. So if you want to go that way, this is kind of the, the air, and next week will be kind of the ground. And, and so I just want to start with, with why Watershed? Why did we plant Watershed? Why is it called Watershed? And it's kind of a random story, which we, we first, when Lindsay and I were starting through this, we, we quickly realized that there's not a unique church name. Everything's been taken. It's like, we're not going to come up with something unique and be like, ooh, we're the only one. It's not possible. And, and so in, in doing that, we started thinking through names and kind of what did that represent? Because really, what your first thing that people see is your name. And so what does that imply? And so just one day we randomly thought of a water, I thought of watershed, and I really didn't have a functional idea what it was. I was teaching geography, so maybe I'd seen it a little bit then. then but if, by definition, it's an area or ridge of land that separates waters flowing to different rivers. So basically, it's the high point. And everything goes one direction based on the watershed. But if you continue the definition, it's also an event or period that's marking a turning point in the course of an action or in a state of affairs. And so this watershed geographically separates water, but in our lives, it's, this, it's, a, it's a period of marking a time of change. And so when we're looking at that, we're looking that geographically in this area, we're surrounded by several watersheds where stuff either flows towards the Colorado River, towards the Brazos in this area, and it goes both ways. So culturally, or geographically right here, that applies. But then more specifically, the gospel itself is a watershed. The gospel is that point in time when it's integrated into our lives that we see change. And so we're going to look at part of 2 Corinthians today in chapter 5, and just this passage just kind of shows that, reflects that idea that we're trying to talk about. So if you will, follow along 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to read through verse 21. It's the end of that chapter. So in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you will, pray with me as we ask the Spirit to, to guide us through this today. Father, we, we come before you and, and acknowledge that, that we are so often drawn to our hearts drawn towards ourselves, God. And I just pray that today that your spirit would, would impact our lives, that your truth would be evident, 
that we wouldn't change it, we wouldn't alter it to, to make us comfortable, but, but we would be comforted by your Spirit giving us your truth, God. And we just pray that, that you would teach us today, God. I just pray that that I would be submissive to you. God, and we just thank you that you haven't left us on our own, but you've given us this truth, this word that we can go to and hear from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> when we were first starting this process, um, we, we sent out an information booklet. Not necessarily a fundraising thing. It was just more of, here's what we're doing. We wanted to give people information. And so we sent it to several churches and then just people that we knew. And in that booklet, we, we described Watershed and, and what this idea was by saying that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that in Christ we're a new creation. The old is gone. We will never be the same. This encounter with Christ is a watershed moment in each believer's life. That we seek to spread the gospel through our lives and words and see more people come to know Jesus and experience their own watershed moment. Then we continue to say that water is critical to survival and communities are historically formed around a watershed. That's from our information booklet. It's still on our website if you want to read the whole story of kind of our process. It's kind of on the, the bottom of our website. And... And what we, we see there is that, that water is critical. You see that. If you go back through history, if you didn't have water, you didn't have survival. And so when we see that, that physically the presence of water and this watershed that's, that's directing water and people can see where it's going, physically that provided community. And so also the gospel as that, that point in time creates this spiritual community as well. We see that we're drawn together by the gospel. And so from that moment when we experience God's grace through the, the Spirit, the regeneration of the Spirit, we hear the gospel, and it brings our spiritually dead hearts to life. Our lives are forever changed. It then becomes that watershed moment that we can look back to. And just as water cannot turn and run up the watershed, a life that's united with Christ cannot turn away from him. And so we see that our lives are then forever driven to him. And we must realize that, that we're in Christ. Our lives are his. We stop living for ourselves and everything we do becomes a service to our king because that's who he is. And so if you've seen our billboard over there on the highway or you might have noticed the, the banners coming in, that, that three words always appear on everything that we do, life, mission, and worship. And, and we kind of have this idea that we're going to integrate the gospel into lives through mission and with worship. And so today, what we want to do is show you what do we mean by that. When we say we're going to integrate the gospel, what does that mean? How do we see that in that? And, and integration just really it just means to bring together and incorporate the parts. To combine to unite. And so when we say we want to integrate the gospel, we want to combine that to people's lives. So we want to unite the gospel into people's lives so that then we can live for Him. If we do not proclaim the gospel, then people will continue to live their lives not truly understanding the reality of their situation apart from God. Because it's the gospel message that reveals that we are dead in our trespasses and sin, yet made alive in Christ. So it's critical that we speak the gospel, but how we do that is unique to us. It doesn't mean that, that we're right and everyone else is wrong. It's just that in our context, in our area, that looks different. 
And so we're going to look at these overall passages and these overall themes. And, and we want to start with integrating the gospel into lives. If you look again at, at verse 17, <coughs> excuse me, it says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Paul's continuing this idea from these previous verses. If you read back before this, that we're united with Christ and that everything in our life has changed. We're no longer ourselves, but we're Christ. We're united with Him. We talked about in Galatians that that, that, that unification is so much that it's like as we ourselves were on the cross with Him. That if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, this union with Christ, being united with Christ is everything. The point of salvation is not that we gain eternal life or a better life or more purpose, but we gain Him. We gain Christ. We gain a Savior, not just someone that did something that we couldn't do. We gain Him. If we're in Christ, it's not this philosophy or idea, it's a person. R.C. Sproul tells us that union with Christ summarizes our experience of redemption. That in Christ... That's a, a summary of redemption because we're His. We're united with Him. And we experience redemption because we experience the Son. There's no other way that that happens. But, but look where Paul goes next. Look how he unpacks this idea that we experience the Son, but our life continues. It's not that we just stop. And wouldn't that be great that, that we hear the Gospel, we respond in faith, the, the, the Spirit regenerates our hearts, and then all of a sudden we're with Him. We're done here. Wouldn't that be great? It would, because then this world doesn't matter. But that's not what happens. Our life continues. And so we see there that in Christ, what? We're a new creation. This watershed moment is that turning point. It changes us into a new creation. The integration of the gospel leads to a fundamental change in who we are. We're no longer people that we are. We're a new creation. And Paul repeats that again in the second half of the verse. Is the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The old has passed away. The things that you used to be are no longer there. It's completely gone. It's not just sweeping the, your old self under the rug so you don't look at it. Or maybe when you were a kid or the kids in here, you throw stuff in the closet to try to hide it. Right? It, that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that, that we just kind of put ourselves away. No, it's the old's gone. It's passed away. It's not there anymore. It's completely gone. But what? The new has come. R.C. Sproul again says that the believer's spiritual union with Christ, again, this in Christ, this union with Christ, is nothing, nothing less than participation in the new creation. When we were united with Christ through the gospel and it's integrated into our lives, then we're part of this new creation, God redeeming creation. And what I, th- I thought about this is um, this past Christmas, I guess last week, I can't, this past Christmas, seems like it was so far ago, like a couple days ago, um, we had Christmas open presents. It was fun. And, and in that, Keaton got uh, the new Skylander games. And I've talked to several of you that as well have been attacked by Skylanders in your household. But what I noticed was, that, and it made me think of this, that after, as you're playing the game, if the character it runs out of health, if the character dies, then you have to put a new one on the portal. You have to new, put a new one on the game to play with. And that's what I, I, I started thinking about this. And that's kind of that same idea. When you look at the Skylanders, you can swap them out. 
When they're dead, there's a new one that's brought to life. And while in the game it's different characters, completely different characters, different attributes, with us it's this old life has passed away and there's a new one that's been created in Christ. This new one has been created from Christ. And, and we see that if we look at that first part of 18. As we, this gospel is integrated into our lives, we have to remember that it's, all this is from God. The first part of verse 18. All is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. All of this is from God. Paul says it the same way in Romans eleven thirty-six that for him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything, everything is from God. The point of life is to glorify God. The point of creation is to point people to the Creator. All things are of God, including our salvation. We don't seek out God. In fact, if you read Romans 1, we see that we suppress the truth of God. We exchange the glory of God for created images. And so when we look at our union of Christ, we see that we did nothing. We did nothing. All of it was from God. We're united in Christ because of God. The old is gone because of God. The new creation has come because of God. We didn't just one day decide, I'm going to be a better person. It's not what the gospel, that's not integrating the gospel into your life. That's replacing Christ for an idea. And that's not what we have. Because of this, we mustn't forget the world. We must not let our eyes be drawn away from the beauty of Christ. We need to place Him on the horizon of our life and continually seek Him. I admit that that's easier said than done. That the world draws us in and entices us, our desires. But if we're going to truly see the gospel integrate into our lives, then we need to be living for Christ. The world is no more. So does Christ. Christ continually catch your eye? Do you seek Him above the things of the world? Because if you don't, then the gospel is not truly integrated into your lives because when we see the reality of who we are and the reality of who Christ is, then we have nothing but affection for Him and we're drawn to that. We cannot be united with Christ and live for the world. In, in commenting about this, John Calvin said, Believers are admonished that they must now live to God inasmuch as they are a new, creation, new creature, for verse 17. That is, they cannot do unless they forget the world, as they are no longer of the world. So what he's saying there is if we are in Christ, we're truly united with Christ, then we must leave the world. But we cannot do that if we hold on to it. We're no longer of the world, we're of Christ. And so we need to point our lives to that. And so we realize that this integration into our lives is a total integration. It's not just part of it. It's not compartmentalizing part of the gospel into our lives and then keeping part for ourselves. It's a total takeover. It's a total transformation. The old has gone and behold, the new has come. This this behold, that, that word there, it's, a, it's an instant. It's implying that it happens then. It's not a period of time. It's the old is gone, the new has come. In Christ, we're instantly created new. And so what we see then is how does that happen? That's the next question then, right? 
Well, how, how, do, how does that happen in people's lives? And, and, and so as we continue to read this passage, we see that that integration into life is the first key, but we need to see how it then gets to people's lives. And that's where we go to the next thing, that we integrate the gospel through mission. The second half of verse 18 tells us that. Because we see in, in, in 18, we just read the whole verse, it says, And all this is from God, this new creation. It's all from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And there's, there's two ways you can look at that. Some people take that, that he's talking about specifically the ministers. That the, the church was given ministers of the gospel. And, and that applies, but I think we can take that a step further and say that we all, because if the ministers of the church and the, and the pastors, the leaders of the church are doing what they're supposed to do, then we're equipping the saints for the work of ministry. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians. And so, while specifically here he might be speaking of ministers, it still affects everyone, because if we're going to do the work of the church, then we're going to be messengers of reconciliation. God has chosen us to give, to have his message of reconciliation passed along by us. He didn't need to use us. He chose to. And if we've truly been united with Christ through faith and we've seen this integration of the gospel into our daily lives, then wouldn't we tell that story? Don't we already tell everyone that we know if we experience something great? I always have to to think about and kind of call myself out on this because if I ever eat somewhere that I know I have a friend that really likes, I text them a picture. Y'all do that? Like, hey, look what I'm having. Even if I'm grilling something, I'm like, hey, check this out. Right? Because it's something good. Right? We're like, huh, wish you were having this, don't you? Right? We, we talk about that. It doesn't have to be food. It, anything that we experience that we truly like, we never shut up about, do we? You constantly tell people that. If you have kids, you understand that. Right? You probably had that going up that they were telling you leading up to Christmas, everything that they were excited about, Right? was non-stop. And so why aren't we that way with the gospel? Why, when we see this amazing thing happen in our life, this integration of the gospel, this new creation, why, do we, why are we not more vocal about it? Because that's what Paul's saying here in verse 18. And then if we continue to 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. We see this. This is our message we often forget what our message is, and, and the, the pushback sometimes is, well, I don't know what to say. I would say it if I knew what to say. And that's where this idea that there's this special message, you have to tell your story. That's how the gospel is integrated through mission. It's because we've been given this message of reconciliation, so we speak what happened to us. And what is that? Look at the, the second part of verse 19. He says there that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That's great. Reconciling. So what does that mean? Not counting their trespasses against them. That's, that's the story of the gospel. That's what we share. That, that in Christ, if we're united with Christ, if we see who He is and we believe in Him, then that's God through Christ is not counting our trespasses against us. That's why it's such a good message. Because we get what we don't deserve. He's not counting our trespasses against us. And what? He entrusts to us the message of reconciliation. To tell that story. 
And that's how we want to see this unified life with Christ, this integration of the gospel is through mission because we tell our story. Mission isn't just having a Bible study. It isn't just providing for the needs. It's telling the story, that story of reconciliation. Either we're reconciled through God by faith, regenerated by the Spirit, or we're not. And that's why it's so critical that we constantly speak that message. Because it's not this idea. Reconciliation isn't like the answer D, all of the above. Which is really the landscape. If we look at our culture right now, a religious landscape, it just says, well, all of it's pretty much okay. It's like picking all of the above. Well, they might choose that. That's not, that's not what the gospel says. It's in Christ. God was reconciling the world. So if there's any message that says that it's any other way but in Christ alone, then that's not the message of reconciliation is what Paul's saying. That in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. It's through Christ alone. Himself, his actions on the cross. It's not merely the concept. It's the person. That's why we can integrate the gospel through mission because if we've experienced it, we're going to proclaim it. That's why reconciliation is promising. Isn't that an amazing truth? That God's not counting there are your trespasses against you. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, Paul tells us in Ephesians. But what? Made alive in Christ. That's the message. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done in Christ. God is not counting your trespasses against you. And that's a message that the world needs to hear. You don't have to make yourself special. You have to fix your life. You have to proclaim it. When I was growing up, um, my parents <coughs> and I went to um, uh, First Baptist Church in Shallow Water, Texas, a little town. And in part of that youth, I was in what was called the RAs, the Royal Ambassadors. It's for the boys, the girls had GAs, right? And in that, there's this pledge. And it's, as a royal ambassador, I'll do my best to become a responsible, well-informed, responsible follower of Christ. I have a Christ-like concern for all people to learn how the message of Christ is carried around the world to work with others in sharing Christ and keep myself clean and healthy in mind and body. It was stamped in my brain. I didn't have to look it up. I haven't recited that until yesterday as I was finally typing all this up in I don't know how many years, 15, 20 years. It's there. I can remember it. I can remember the room that we always said that in. But as I was growing up, my life didn't reflect that pledge. Even though... I had it ingrained in my mind. My life didn't reflect it because it was just this concept. It was this great reminder, but it was a concept. It wasn't the person. Everything that I was being taught, and not on purpose, but everything that I was being taught was about this idea of Christ instead of Himself. And so it didn't affect my life because I didn't see how He changed my life. And so what we want to do is we want to integrate the gospel. It needs to be united to us through a person into a life, but that comes through mission. Being on mission means that we become ministers of reconciliation. But sadly, we forget that we're entrusted with that message. We think it's just someone else. 
We become people without a mission if we forget that we're the agents of reconciliation. And we see that again in verse 20. Therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. Look at that. We're ambassadors. We speak for the king. We represent the king. And what is that message? Again, he tells us that God's making his appeal through us. To what? Be reconciled to God. That's what he said. He says, we implore you on behalf of Christ. We implore you. He's begging. He's pleading the Corinthians here to be reconciled to Christ. And so we should be begging and pleading with our neighbors and the people we work with that don't know Christ to be reconciled to God because without Him, there is no hope. We're ambassadors of Christ. We can't forget mission, but it's not what we do. It's what we tell. It's who we represent. It's not ourselves. We're ambassadors of the one true King. We've been given that message. And so we implore people on behalf of Christ because we're ambassadors to be on behalf of the King to be reconciled to God. It's not to change your life. Don't be a better person. So be reconciled to God. How? In Christ. Because it's in Him that we receive that message. It's in Him that our trespasses aren't counted against us. And that leads us to this last overall arching that we're going to be integrating the gospel into lives through mission, and then what? With worship. This last category, we, we put it last, but really it filters through everything. It's one that consumes the other, worship. Worship's a continual action, but worship comes first from the gospel being integrated into our life. We all worship something, but we're not going to truly worship God until that gospel's been integrated into our lives through mission, because someone has told us that. The gospel drives us to worship. Look at verse 21. It finishes the, the, the last part of this chapter. It says, For our sake, for your sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And we look at that and we see that it was for our sake that He gave us His Son who knew no sin. He became sin. It wasn't just He became a little sinful. He became sin. But it was for our sake that he did that. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might be righteous when we are unrighteous. Not because of our action, but because of his. And that leads us to worship. That leads us to, to ex- praise him. Why? Because he did something that we couldn't do. Not because we earned it or deserved it, but because he loved us. He loved us, and we understand that, but we know it's true because when the gospel is integrated into our lives through the power of the Spirit, we understand that we are in Christ. (coughs) That's what Paul says in Romans 8, 16 and 17. It says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So the Spirit shows us reveals to us that we're the children of God. And then he continues that if if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. That last part's union with Christ. If we suffer with Him, we're united with Him. But if we suffer our unification and are united with Him, then what? We're also glorified with Him. The gospel is a catalyst to worship. 
If you look at that, by definition, a catalyst is a substance that increases the rate of a chemical reaction without itself undergoing any permanent change. And so that's what happens. The gospel is a catalyst for worship because it propels us and drives us to worship, but the gospel itself doesn't change as a result of this. We cannot continue to worship God if the gospel, the catalyst to that, is changing because then our worship is changing. And so we see when we look at what we have here that that Christ even himself gives us this this mission, this idea of what we're going to do. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, Matthew 28, 20, it says, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. It's our mission to make disciples. And by integrating the gospel is how we at Watershed, how you and I, if you partner with us, are going to go to all nations to make those disciples. Because we're going to see the gospel integrated into people's lives. We don't have to come up with this big fancy theme. God already did that for us when he gave us the gospel. We don't have to create this idea. We just simply tell the message that in Christ, God's not counting our trespasses against us. What happens is we must remember continually that starts with our own lives. We cannot bring someone to Christ if we ourselves have not been transformed by Him. And we see that often that people have this idea of Christ, but they don't know Him. And we can't, we can't bring people somewhere that we ourselves aren't. And so it's critical that we continually integrate the gospel into our own lives. Pastor um, Mark Dever, is a, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C. This week, he, on, on Twitter, he, he posted that discipleship is following Christ. Discipling is helping someone else follow Christ. And I thought that, that that fits perfect with this idea that, that discipleship is following Christ. We want to disciple, we want to understand who Christ is in our own lives. Why? So then we can disciple other people to follow Christ. Because we're there ourselves, we can bring them along. That's how the gospel is integrated. We must model it with our lives so that people can then follow that, can see that, can ask why we have this hope. Because our lives have been changed by a message. And that message is that our trespasses aren't counted against us. That we live differently. Because we've experienced the King. And we've seen that. And that gospel, that message of Christ given to us, dying the death we deserved, raising to life so that we might live, is all that we have to proclaim. And that's all that we need. And when that's integrated into our lives, and it's integrated into other people's lives through the mission of Watershed, through sharing that, And yes, we do certain things, and we'll talk about that next week. I'm not saying that we don't do anything, but everything we do falls under that. And we do that through worship. It's with worship. It's accompanied by worship because the gospel propels us to worship. That's why we sing and worship, because the gospel is news that draws us to that. Let's pray.